Welcome back to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. Today's segment is Caring is Giving with yours truly, L. Cole. We have a very exciting guest today, so please continue listening to the full episode. This podcast is powered by the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, and we would like you to remember that the information shared on the Vitamin SC3 podcast is for informational or educational purposes only and does not substitute professional medical advice or consultations with healthcare professionals. To become a member of the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, visit sicklecellconsortium.org. The Sickle Cell Consortium is a collaborative designed a little bit like the United Nations in theory so that we can bring together many organizations for sickle cell throughout the country and now throughout the world, as well as um, independent patient caregiver leaders, opinion leaders, advocates, those that are active in this space. And our goal is, what we've always done, is bring our community together so that we can create projects, priorities, initiatives. We can figure out what are the problems, needs, and gaps in the sickle cell community, and then figure out how we're going to collectively address this. Welcome to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. We are so excited to have a special guest. Today, our special guest is Tamika Smith. Tamika is a reporter from WAMU. Tamika, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much, Elle, for having me on the program. Um, It's always exciting to be able to talk about sickle cell disease and what we could be doing for it and highlighting it. You know, as this, as you know, this month, September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month. Um, So it's a perfect time to be able to educate people about sickle cell disease. Um, I started a report earlier this year, around June, about sickle cell disease, but the journey started a little bit way further back. My sister actually got diagnosed with it when she was very young. She was about six months. And, um, you know, as a young child, I saw my mother struggling um, with sickle cell disease, trying to, struggling with the symptoms from it with my sister. Um, And I eventually stepped in to help be a caregiver as well. Um, and how I ended up doing this report is because my sister passed away in 2016 and um, I'd always wanted to do something around sickle cell disease. And so I found it was the perfect opportunity to revisit the topic, to see how far we've come with the topic. Thank you so much for sharing and my sincere condolences to you and your family. I know that sickle cell disease is something that affects many, many people around the world. Can you tell us why do you think the world needs to know about sickle cell disease? That's a great point. It is a a disease that affects so many around the world. I mean, right here in, uh, you know, in the Washington region, we have, uh, you know, a community in Prince George's County, Maryland, that's struggling with it. But That's just a small portion when you look at what's happening across the country. We have nearly 100,000 people affected with sickle cell disease. And then that that issue then also multiplies when you get to the continent of Africa, which is where you primarily will see the largest population of people affected with sickle cell disease. Now, my report specifically looks at a community in in, um, Prince George's County, Maryland, 
Um, and it gives you a snapshot as to what happens to someone or family living with the disease and how much care do they receive when they are turning to the medical community for support. Now, specifically, the family I interviewed, they're the Sheffields. That's how I endearingly refer to them. Um, it's a family of about eight, and then it, it, it increases when you add the grandbabies. But I focused the story on LaDon Sheffield, who's the mother, um, and then her four children, Kwaidir, Zari, uh, Kalani, and um, Nazi. And they all have sickle cell disease of varying degrees. Uh, and what I found was that whenever they would go into a crisis, and we know what a crisis is, is basically with sickle cell disease, your, your blood cells uh, turn into a sickle, th therefore, therefore reducing the blood flow that happens throughout the body, and then you get the crisis. Now, when they go into a crisis, because of where they live, in the Washington metro region in Prince George's County, they have to travel nearly an hour in pain to find a, find a medical community, I would say, that knows what they go through. And even when they get there to uh, an emergency room, they're still treated with contempt, treated like drug seekers, treat, treated as though their pain does not matter. Uh, and so, uh, again, Al, it's Sickle Cell Awareness Month. This is the perfect time for us to be talking about what we could be doing. There's a lot of movement happening on Capitol Hill right now. Uh, the most movement we've seen in a while. Uh, the first kind of movement we saw in the country was in the 1970s with Richard Nixon. And 1972 is when he signed the Sickle Cell, uh, Sickle Cell Anemia Control Act. And that's what led to a whole host, whole host of funding and research. And we saw, you know, invigorated medical community wanting to get around sickle cell disease. Um, and, you know, it was doing well for a while and then it just kind of fell off. Right. Yes. You didn't really hear much about it. You didn't really see m many resources. And then there eventually became a drug called hydroxyurea but it was kind of a drug that wasn't really um, made for people who have sickle cell disease. It was made for people who have cancer. And so, you know, fast forward now in 2022, we're starting to see more, more research around it. Some pharmaceutical companies are becoming right. interested in it. So this is a great time to be talking about sickle cell disease. People in the medical community, um, you know, are banding behind it. And, and so, this is when I decided, hey, let's do a story on this to see how far we've come, but how far we need to go. Absolutely. Everything that you said really charged me because yeah. this is an explosion of information, research, and new treatments. So yes. for the sickle cell community, we're excited. But I want to back up just a second because mm -hmm. sickle cell disease is the most common and prevalent genetic disorder in the world. And so mm -hmm. just to take that statement and kind of set it aside so that we can recognize why this explosion is so important. Mm -hmm. And we know that, yes, we call it a worldwide disease, but with people having it at such an enormous rate, we know that those numbers are increasing. And mm -hmm. it sounds like people 
aren't necessarily giving it the attention that they need. So yes, there is a new explosion, but with it Mm -hmm. being the most common genetic disorder in the world and PG County being a community of wealth, Mm -hmm. being a community of um, people who are in the healthcare system, we have Mm -hmm. in our vicinity, some of the best hospitals in the world, but yet people in this same community are struggling to get treatment for the mm-hmm. most common genetic disorder in the mm-hmm. world. Why do you think that is? Research funding. Uh, and that's basically it. Uh, so I'll give you a little bit of a makeup of Prince George's County. It's a pre- pre- predominantly African-American community. And as you said, affluent. Um, and what, when um, you look at, um, when you look at Prince George's County, you see a few things. Uh, the county isn't really making sickle cell disease a priority. They have um, somewhat of a, I would say, I wouldn't call it a guide, but it's somewhat of a study that they do every year or every so often to see what are the, the main issues in the community that need to be focused on. Sickle cell disease is not on top of that list. Um, but you know, from the medical professionals I've talked to, they feel like it needs to be. When you look at the makeup of the population in the state of Maryland, 30% of the people who have sickle cell disease live in Prince George's County. So the fact that they have to leave their community and travel almost an hour to get um, some form of medical care that they trust, that's an issue. They don't have comprehensive care. Comprehensive care insists of social workers, someone who can really look at them as, uh, look at their patient holistically and not just look at them just as sickle cell disease. But what other resources do they need? Because we know sickle cell disease is a chronic illness. So that takes a toll on the mental, that takes a toll on the family. What other kinds of resources can be banded together? Well, just recently, Um, One of the reasons why I also did this story is that there's something happening very unique in Prince George's County. The three hospital systems, Children's Hospital, UMM, and also Johns Hopkins banding together to be able to create the first comprehensive care center in Prince George's County. And they're doing so through a grant in Maryland. It's nearly $2 million, but it's just a jumpstart to kind of help them go forward. Right now, there needs to be more local resources, more, you know, more statewide resources, more federal resources. And that's where I I go back to Capitol Hill and talk a little bit about what's happening there. There is a senator by the name of Chris Van Hollen, Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen. He's doing a lot of work on this. Um, There's whispers right now on Capitol Hill that there's going to be an introduction of a bill Um, And this bill is going to lead way for more resources and more funding across the country. Uh, So like I said, Elle, there's work being done. As we know, there's more work to be done. Um, And I think that what we aren't talking about that many people talk about is that there needs to be more funding and there needs to be some way to be like, okay, Sickle cell disease is common. We need to give it more money. Why is it that, you know, you have a disease like say, for example, cystic fibrosis, which is commonly talked about. This isn't new. Commonly talked about how it, um, if you look at a recent research about it, 
the National Institutes of Health gives about $800 per patient for, um, for care and resources for cystic fibrosis. But then when you look at sickle cell disease, it gets, um, I'm sorry, the other way around. Cystic fibrosis gets about 2,800, sickle cell disease gets 800. There's a huge disparity in funding there. Um, you know, some of the medical professionals I talked to said, you know, can I say that it's race-based? No, but it looks to be, it seems to be. Um, and so there's a lot of education that needs to come around uh, sickle cell diseases and a lot of, you know, education that needs to happen in the medical community and a lot of myth busting. Because people are black and brown, it does not mean they can sustain more pain. That is not true. Um, sickle cell disease, just, you know, does, what does pain look like? That's another question. What does it look like? You're sitting in an emergency room and, you know, this person has a history of sickle cell disease. And, you know, a lot of medical professionals I've talked to said they need to be treated differently. And that's where you lead, that's where it kind of, the conversation then goes towards comprehensive care centers so that we don't have emergency rooms filled with people who have sickle cell disease that can go into a stroke at any moment or the pain be so, um, so I would say unbearable that they will go into a coma in the emergency room. Yes, we do need to be talking about sickle cell disease and now's the time. Wow. You know, you brought up some of the complications that can be debilitating for patients. I'm wondering, you know, we, at the top of this conversation, we talked about the WAMU story that came out that you were a part of. And mm -hmm. what impact do you want that story to have on, on the sickle cell community and on the broader community at large? You brought up, you know, the funding, the research, but is there anything else that you think would make an impact on the world when it comes to sickle cell disease? What is it asking of us as a community? Well, the first, the first question I'll address is the first one you said, you know, what impact would I want the story to have? Uh, you know, I was very clear in the lens that I wanted to have while covering the story. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was, um, making sure that we saw the family as they are, as a family. You know, like I talked about earlier, when you talk about sickle cell disease, it's often a disease that people just see as a black and brown issue. And that's not, that's not quite true. It, they're a family and they're struggling and they need resources and they need funding and they need support in so many different ways. And that doesn't make it different for someone who may be suffering with cancer, you, you know, everybody is human. We're talking about humanity here. And that's the basis of this story for me. It's about humanity. It's about saying, hey, we have a community that is suffering. And when you look at how sickle cell disease affects the body, it's grueling. You talk about, uh, you know, people who may have, people who are suffering from cancer and eventually passing away people who have sickle cell disease, it's like they're dying while they're alive. Their organs deteriorate and the process starts from when they're babies. They have no form of regularity when it comes to life and living, you know? Um, and I won't say that as a blanket statement, 
I'm really talking for the ones that have it the worst, the ones who are chronically in the hospital, chronically dealing with, um, you know, all sorts of issues of discrimination. Um, what we're seeing right now with sickle cell disease is that for the patients who are young, they usually get the best care. And then when they end up transitioning is what it's called or aging out of uh, adolescent care, pediatric care, they then don't have a place to go when they become adults. And that's when it becomes, when I say it, I mean sickle cell disease, it becomes the worst. Um, it really starts to take a toll on the organs and the body and the bones. And that's where it really just kind of becomes really sad because people who have sickle cell disease then have to go to emergency rooms to get care because there are no comprehensive care centers. And for those of, those of them who have um, doctors that can help, they try to. Um, we've seen an influx of people who are adults going back to their pediatric, um, you know, pediatricians for care because they can't find an adult hematologist to help with their need. Um, again, it's not a blanket statement about everyone who has sickle cell disease has it at this level but we do know a lot of people who have it um, and who have it uh, chronically and it's, and it's debilitating to the point where they can't work. Um, and you, you, you know, it's just so many issues when you think about sickle cell disease, so many prongs, you can look at it through the lens of racism. You can look at it through the lens of um, really racism is the hugest one, but you can look at it through discrimination, even job discrimination because the parents, can't work because if they have children and they have to take care of them and then you know if you have to keep taking time off work you can't keep a job so it's just i mean the issue is just kind of like you know it's like an avalanche and it just keeps going yes what you said really hit home to me as a mother of a child with sickle cell disease i've seen and i've recently just really learned what it means to have sickle cell disease and watch it progress because mm -hmm. it's a progressive disease. Sometimes yes. when you have a child with sickle cell disease, they don't, they may not have a lot of complications, but mm -hmm. as they get older, it's almost, mm -hmm. it can be inevitable that mm -hmm. things will get worse because as yeah. the body sickles, even when a person isn't having a pain crisis, they do experience some sickling. Pain mm -hmm. crisis is just one part of sickle cell disease, but it doesn't tell the whole story. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, you talked about that personal relationship that you have mm -hmm. with the disease, having a sister who had it. Did you learn anything new when you did this story? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I didn't realize how, how much pain she was in, how, how much she stayed in the hospital because when so she and I are about six years apart and when so when I left to go to college she was still very young and wasn't really experiencing the the drop off in care the aging out in care the discrimination with um and and, and um being blocked from getting her pain meds all of those issues started when she got in her 20s uh so when initially we didn't really see any of those issues so when you know, I started doing my reporting and I'm talking to the Sheffields, I'm realizing like right around the twenties is where all of these issues occurred and I wasn't really there. So in Florida, 
even though I was supporting in other ways, like calling hospitals and calling her and checking up on her. There's just so much more that goes into her being in the hospital and the care that she needs to, uh, she needed to receive and the compassion. Yes. When we think about sickle cell disease, sometimes we kind of compartmentalize it, but Mm -hmm. it's something that affects a person's entire life. Mm -hmm. And it also affects their extended family, not just them personally, but it's like when you have a loved one with sickle cell disease, you're, you're signed up for life as a parent and as a sibling, it's Mm -hmm. like, you don't really get to take a break from caregiving because that Mm -hmm. person is going to need your assistance, your love, your compassion, your research, your time, you speaking up for them Mm -hmm. for their entire life. Yes. You become an advocate. You really do. So you you just use the word advocate as a sibling. Mm -hmm. Do you, did you see siblings really speaking up? Or was this really one of the Mm. times where, because I feel like it's a family thing, but I feel like, you know, siblings do have a part to play in caregiving and in advocacy. But sometimes in advocacy, you just see the parents. But I feel like we have to have more allies, not just Mm -hmm. the parents speaking up. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting um, that you say that because with my sister Janique, we had a whole community around her. It wasn't just my mom and myself. My aunts, actually, my Auntie Shala, my Auntie Tamika, they work in the medical field. So whenever there were issues, specifically my Aunt Charlotte would go to the hospital to check on the floor to see what was going on because she spoke that medical language. She was able to be able to help to get the care that my sister needed. Um, And so everyone's not blessed that way. Everyone doesn't have someone who lives in a medical, who who works in the medical field and can speak that language. So we were blessed in that way to have that form of a village that actually understood the language and could speak and operate in the world. But for a lot of people who don't, you know, it's hard. You know, you're basically asking for help. And it's hard when you're, you know, trying to get help and don't receive it. And this is not an attack on the medical community at all. I just want to say that, but there are a lot of bad apples that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they're being judgmental, you know, they're practicing discriminatory practices when it comes to opioid use. I mean, there's nothing else that can help with the pain, the kinds of pain that people who have sickle cell disease have to cope with and being underprescribed for pain medications for something that you're born with, it's just wrong. Absolutely. And that speaks to the health equity that, you know, (laughs) should be there, but isn't. And really it's a opportunity for improvement in the Mm -hmm. healthcare community. It's not a, a diss, but it's us recognizing that there is a need for things to improve for our loved ones, because they deserve to have a better quality of life and to mm-hmm. have a healthcare system that understands them. That's just That's the right. basics. Exactly. And to be in America, it's something that we should be able to count on. Mm-hmm. Health so, equity. Yeah. Yes. So I'm curious, you know, you talked about the village and I feel like 
the fact that you're sharing this story, mm-hmm. it tells us that we have to broaden our village and mm-hmm. it gives people an under, uh, opportunity to understand what families in the sickle cell community are facing. Mm-hmm. So what type of feedback have you received regarding the feature so far? Oh, so far I've had great feedback. Um, when I was on 1A um, with Jen White, we had a huge outpour of people sharing their stories on Twitter, on Facebook, just really wanting to get an understanding. Um, personally, I've got messages from people who are like, hey, I didn't know that sickle cell disease did this. I learned so much through your features. You know, and this just speaks to the kind of reporting that our station, WAMU 88.5, is doing in the Washington region. It speaks to the kind of resources that they're putting toward covering the black and brown community of the Washington region. Um, I was given full reign to do not only this amazing full out you know, feature, I was given maybe like six, seven months to work on it. So blessed for that. Um, I was able to um, team up with an amazing photographer by the name of Tyrone Turner who worked with Nat Geo, National Geographic, and his photographs just bring so much life to the story. Um, and then afterwards, you know, again, I was on 1A, you know, talking about my story and um, the outpouring was amazing. People just wanted to share and say, wow, like I didn't know sickle cell disease was like this. Um, I have someone in my family dealing with it. I didn't know it was this bad. So it's just great to be able to bring more awareness to a topic that a lot of people think they know about um, and just kind of under, you know, kind of dig underneath those stones and kind of help things resettle where they need to be so people can be paying attention a bit more closely. Yes, yes. One of the vitamin SC3 hosts, uh, Dr. Marjorie Brewer, she said that the story was so well done and she was so impressed. So even in my personal circle, I'm hearing about how others just felt a sense of pride. You know, Mm -hmm. there's another family in the community that I'm close friends with that Mm -hmm. watched the story and they were just, they felt like they were seen Mm -hmm. and they were heard. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, when you do stories that really make a difference to people's lives, I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a sense of pride, a sense of ownership and a sense of love. So I personally want to thank you for doing that story because it really takes a village. And this is one of those examples of how, Mm -hmm. you know, we can raise awareness in different ways. But each of us has a role to play in the sickle cell community. So I wanted to personally thank you for what you've done. Was there anything... Was there anything that didn't make it in the cut that you wish the public Mm. was aware of? There are a lot of things that didn't make it in the cut. You know, we were trying to uh, find a balance between how the family had led us into such a personal space and not to violate that by sharing too much information. Because sickle cell disease is one of those things, I mean, if you lay it all out there, it gets graphic. Uh, and we didn't want that. We wanted to find the, and it's an ethical line, right? You have to find the ethical line between they let us in, but we don't want to go too far. 
Um, some of the things that we didn't put in, you know, too much details um, was how one of the the brothers, um, Nazi, has what you call pri uh, priapisms in his penis, and it's where it just in, like it gets engorged with blood and has to be drained. And he's had it done like at least a couple dozen times, and the pain around it. Um, we didn't share the photos fr from that. Um, you know, there were details about what happened in the room. We didn't share that. Um, you know, it just got a bit too graphic. Uh, but also we didn't want to cross that line of just sharing too much. Uh, what else didn't make it? Um, we didn't talk a lot about the issues around opioid, uh, opioid discrimination. Um, we felt as though it deserved its own feature. And really we wanted to focus on the family and didn't want to take away from that. Uh, so we chose to focus more on the family, their journey, their view of what's happening to them in the Washington region as it pertains to the care that they're receiving. Uh, but as we know, there is discrimination with opioid, opioid use. Um, the title of the story, the title of my story speaks directly to that when it, you know, when LaDawn Sheffield shared with me that she feels like her, her children are in pain now and they need help now, right? It alludes to that. There's pain uh, associated with sickle cell disease. And right now opioids are pretty much the only thing that can be used to help alleviate that pain. But there's all sorts of issues, federal issues associated with it. Um, you, you know, often what I saw in my reporting was that people were complaining about pharmacists basically redlining them saying, well, well I'm not going to give you the opioids because I feel like you're abused. Well, through their own personal decisions, they can deny you to get the op get opioids. And depending on where you live, you might be the only pharmacist available uh, or pharmacy available to get the opioid um or pain relief that you need. And if you try to go to another company or not a company, but another location of the same company, then you're flagged in the system. I mean, it's a whole other story that goes along with how pharmacists are able to make a judgment, which, which really can sometimes be a bias, their own personal bias as to why they're not giving someone else, uh, choosing who gets opioids and who doesn't. Um, and with, with sickle cell being in, you know, a disease with pain being the hallmark, there shouldn't be a choice around that, but they have it. There's actually a federal law that I read that said that they have the right to do so. Yeah. And, it's you sad. know, I want to just kind of talk about that just a quick second, because it is well documented that sickle cell patients have pain. Yes. It is not a myth. It is not something that is made up. Like there are mm -hmm. scientific studies that prove that. And yet mm -hmm. you see this discriminatory practice occurring in yes. every city, every part of the world. Mm -hmm. It's not just yeah. here in America. It's not yeah. just in Prince George's County. It's really all mm -hmm. over the world. And, yeah. you know, it, it hurts mm -hmm. to, to see that because it is so well documented that mm -hmm. sickle cell disease causes excruciating pain. And yet yep. there isn't a treatment that specifically meets the pain. Yes, 
you talked a little bit about, you know, we are in this explosion, part mm-hmm. of the research and, you know, just the environment in the sickle cell community. And there mm-hmm. are new medications being made, but those medications are, you know, to increase hemoglobin, they're for other things. They're not necessarily for, they're not for pain specifically. Mm-hmm. So if a person is in crisis, there mm-hmm. is not a sickle cell medication that was created to stop that painful crisis. So mm-hmm. let that just sink in. Mm-hmm. And this is why your feature was so important because mm-hmm. we have to really kind of recognize that more needs to be done. You know, mm-hmm. to me, the hallmark of the disease needs to be treated. That, that just seems like second nature, like common sense, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not always that simple in reality. Mm-hmm. Nothing's ever that simple in reality. I swear. I feel like we, you know, we're laying out all of the chips, but it's just like, unless someone in power can make that decision, then where do you lie? And thankfully, there's movement happening on Capitol Hill. There are people who, especially, I would say, I don't know about what's happening, you know, in other countries, but I know here in the United States, we do have senators. We do have people who are paying attention to it. And they are doing the best that they can to be able to move things forward. And it's a process, you know, and I can tell you, it's a process that the Sheffields know very much about. Um, They even told me during my interview, hey, you know, and all of them are in their 20s, right? So they're right in that that, that spot where anything can happen. Um, Quidir, who had a couple of strokes before he was 11, now needs a hip replacement and he's 24, okay? He flat out, flat out told me, I know I may not make it, but I'm doing this story because I feel like somebody needs to know and somebody needs to speak up and I'm going to do it. And that just like almost broke my heart. And it brings me to tears now because somebody who's supposed to be like in the prime of their lives are talking as though they're in the twilight of them. And it's really painful to watch and to see. It's, it's, it's really hard. Um, and, you know, the story is a very personal one for me. So it was, it was challenging, but I had to put myself aside and to be able to tell the story the way that it needed to be told so that the world could see. Absolutely. You know, just seeing the features, just hearing you talk and everything that has kind of transpired to raise more awareness yeah. about sickle cell. Yeah. What has happened, it's made me think about the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement yeah. was changed by the media. It was changed when people began to see the images. Dr. Right. Martin Luther King was very clear that people yeah. needed to see images yeah. for yeah. the Jim Crow laws, for the yeah. separation, for the discrimination, right. and for the prejudice that was yeah. happening to stop. And so, you know, when you do features like this, this mm-hmm. is um, very important. It is a movement where yes. people need to see the images. The images yes. are what will prompt change. Mm-hmm. And so I thank you. And it just goes to show that. Um, the media may have a role to play in healthcare and health yes. equity. 
Yes. What do you think that role they is? They do have a role. They do have a role. Because um, if we're not talking about uh, a field where people can do basically whatever they want and have no consequence, that's not okay. That's not okay. Um, but thankfully, we're starting to see more uh, more consequences for those actions. You know, you look at some of the lawsuits around opioid use, um, you're starting to see those lawsuits, you're starting to see restitution for that. But, you know, one wants restitution when their loved one's gone. You know, how do we get it right the first time? So we don't have to have restitution, you know, so it's a new you day. Know, I thank you. I thank you for your vulnerability. I thank you for your yeah. transparency and really sharing your heart with us today. You know, this um, conversation is definitely something that has invigorated me and has encouraged me to do more as a national advocate. I haven't necessarily done a lot in my home community of Prince George's County. And so it's told me, you need to attend those town hall meetings. You mm. need to speak up. You need to do more on a local level. It is not yes. enough to do things on a national level, to talk to your senators. And I have talked to Senator Chris Van Hollen and I was encouraged, but it says, you can't stop. You have to keep going. You have yes. to do more on a local level because yes. that's where the change is so personal, but you can affect change by speaking mm -hmm. up and doing more. So mm -hmm. I am so grateful that you spent time today talking to us. Is there anything else you would like to share? I'd just like to say thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for recognizing the reporting. You know, so often you do so many reports about just, you know, my new uh, uh, variety of things, but um felt like this was the time to talk about sickle cell disease. And I'm, I'm thankful that you gave it a space today. Thank you. And I feel like just in what you've done, you've honored your sister's legacy. So I thank, thank you. Thank you, Elle. All right, folks, that <laughs> is all. We want you to tune in again next week for a new show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. We hope that you will leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, a new episode is coming out next Monday. So please tune in and enjoy.